otherwise on SAFM. Now, how healthy is our staple and processed food? Well, Dr. Elizabeth Dunford is a visiting nutritionist, uh, and she's here to introduce us to the Food Switch app, which will help us check the nutritional content of a brand. Then Mabacha Seiso of Ethics Exchange joins me to discuss the ethical dilemma of healthy profits versus healthy people. Before all of that, though, I've probably used this lunch bite before, but I find it so appropriate that uh, I will remind us again. It's an anonymous quote that says, look after your body. It's the only place you have to live in. Otherwise, on SAFM. My guest, Dr. Elizabeth Dunford, has a doctorate in public health, nutrition, and is the Global Database Manager and Research Fellow for the Global Health Food Policy Division of the George Institute in Sydney. She's also the Project Coordinator for the Global Food Monitoring Group and Food Switch smartphone app globally. Welcome, Dr. Dunford. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thank you for giving us your time. I know you were here uh, invited to speak at the South African Heart Congress. How did that go? Yes, that's right. I was invited to talk at the South African Heart Congress on the way that we can try to, I guess, best improve population heart health through diet. Mm -hmm. was, was, Was your talk well received? Very well received. In actual fact, I find it quite interesting that in the past, I think medical conferences like that were really focused on the patient-practitioner relationship and what the individual person can do to improve their health. But really, what I'm trying to get across to people is how we can work with the food industry and the government to try and improve population heart health so that consumers don't always have to be the ones making the difficult choices. Now, you manage a global database which tracks the nutritional content of processed foods around the world. Are you able to give us a a broad understanding of the data collected? Sure, absolutely. So I guess in in Western countries and more importantly, increasingly in developing countries and in middle-income countries such as South Africa, People are going from a more whole foods based diet to now a more a diet based more on processed foods. And so what we're trying to do is to monitor what is happening to these processed foods in each country around the world so that we can better understand first and foremost what is in the foods that the majority of the population are eating. But more importantly, what manufacturers or what food companies are doing to products that may be the same product or may be marketed as the same product in different countries. Mm. We're trying to see where the differences exist. So for example, we have about 250,000 branded food items at the moment. So when I say branded food items, that means a box of Kellogg's cornflakes as mm-hmm. opposed to just a breakfast cereal. So we monitor what is happening in that product around the world. And so South Africa specifically, can you what, what what do we look like in South Africa? So in South Africa, we're, we're trying to populate a database at the moment, so we're at the real beginnings here in South Africa. And I think it's a really interesting country to start collecting this information in because you are right in the middle of this transition from the more whole foods diet to a processed food diet. And me personally, when I've gone and looking in your supermarkets here, I, I'm shocked at the amount of processed foods you actually have to choose from. Um, in my country, in Australia, we obviously are a, a high-income country and our diet is very dominated by processed foods, but we do not have as many processed foods as you do here. And so I think it's going to be really important to work with our partners here in South Africa to collect this information on a large scale and right now we're under discussions with Discovery Vitality to try and get their support to populate this data so that we can actually see what is going on in this country. 
You know, we, as you say, we have a lot of processed foods, but we, we, we need to arm ourselves and educate ourselves because of the many choices. What do we, how do we protect ourselves and how do we um, not only protect ourselves, but just, just understand what is out there? Well, I think it's really, really difficult for the average consumer to even understand what the difference between, say, one breakfast cereal is over another or even one, pack, one loaf of white bread over another white bread. How do they actually know it's healthier? And certainly when you look at products now, you know, unless you've got a PhD in maths, you probably can't interpret the nutrition label that's sitting on the back of the pack mm-hmm. or indeed the, the GDA symbols that are on the front of the packet on many food products. So what we're trying to do is try to think of novel ways in which we can help educate consumers as to what a healthy food is. And that's where our food switch smartphone application comes into it but equally what we're hoping we can do through through these these things that we're doing is to encourage manufacturers so these major food companies to actually make their foods healthier so that when we're educating consumers on how they can choose healthy products the consumer that the, the companies actually want to put a healthier product out there so consumers will choose it and how much of that information would you be able to convince a manufacturer to do uh, without because um, others just want endorsement even if the product is not good enough and and how how do we how how do we stop the for instance the price fixing as well of of these products that are supposed to be good and are not good but how protected are you from endorsing a food product um, and we know it's genuine it's believed that it is the right one well, I think that's, an, that's a good question, and, and this is where it comes to, well, the important part here is that we need to work with all levels here, and government really needs to be involved in this process. But South Africa, interestingly enough, was actually the very first country in the world to set salt reduction targets for processed foods. So last year, the government set salt reduction targets for a number of food categories, mm-hmm. and so the food industry is going to be forced, in a sense, to reduce salt levels in all foods. And so what that means is it takes away that need to educate the consumer on exactly uh, which particular food item is lower in salt because everything will be lower in salt by default. And if I take the example of bread, bread is actually the number one contributor to salt intake in South Africa. Wow. Whether you're black or white, it's the number one wow. contributor. And simply by having uh, the government set these targets, if industry will now have to lower their salt to that level so that all consumers are getting a little bit healthier without even having to make the choice themselves. But that would also require rigorous policing. Of, of <laughs> Absolutely. And personally, this is where I think that the global database can step in and really help to monitor that. And so we're working not only with Vitality here, but with some research organizations and some universities to try to, to look at the situation right now and monitor whether companies do actually reduce salt levels in their food. So we will be policing this yeah. um, over the next few years, and we will report on this in 2016. Uh, I'm, I'm going to talk to you a bit about food switch, but before I do that, um, how do we know to make the right choices as well as, as, as consumers? Because we've got so many other diets out there that, that purport to do or, or have the right contents of, of the kind of food or, you know, um, will, will keep you healthy. Um, how do we, again, I ask, how do we educate ourselves with, with whether we're eating healthier foods or not, if, if we're purchasing the right foods or not? Well, I think, again, a very good question, and there's no one single answer. And and in this particular space, when we talk about the food environment, you know, that environment that people live in and eat in and and try to 
choose foods in, we need to try and attack this from all angles. And a government's done one step here. They've set salt reduction targets mm-hmm. for the food industry. But equally, how do consumers then within that choose a better product? And this is where we are exploring things like the smartphone technology, like web interfaces and things like that. But another important component that government must lead is educating the public. Um, but again, in South Africa, you are leading the way. You have a group here called SaltWatch. So when the government launched their salt reduction targets, SaltWatch was established to try and educate consumers on the benefits of low-salt diets and how to actually choose lower-salt choices. So once food companies do start to lower salt levels in foods, we hope that the Salt Watch campaign can really come to the forefront and educate um, the South African population so that you do do both. You create a healthier food environment and you also educate consumers so they go looking for those healthy foods. But there's no one set answer, unfortunately. I can imagine, I can imagine. But at least, we, you know, we're talking to you and you're there. You, we have access to people who have information just as you do. So thank you so much for talking to us about this. Then let's talk about the Food Switch app. What does it sure. do? How does it work? So Food Switch is a smartphone application that we developed in Australia and we've subsequently launched in New Zealand and the UK and we're going to launch in India and China and the USA in 2015. But what Food Switch does, it's a smartphone app which allows you to scan the barcode of a packaged food and firstly, it presents you with traffic light colours for the levels of salt, sugar and fat. So green meaning low, amber meaning okay and mm-hmm. red meaning high. And it also says in text as well, low, medium and high for those who may be colourblind. And then what it also does is it directs you to healthier brands of the very similar product to what you've scanned. So, for example, if you scanned a, a box of Kellogg's cornflakes, perhaps that directs you to a pick-and-pay brand or to a Woolworths brand that is slightly healthier mm-hmm. or whatever the choice may be. And so what we're trying to do here is to get consumers to make really small switches because we know that people will not go and choose a Weetabix product if they scan a cocoa cereal. They want another cocoa cereal, so we're trying to direct them to very small switches. And we want two things out of that. One is to get consumers to understand understand what is a healthier brand without having to interpret that very difficult nutrition panel on the back. Mm-hmm. But secondly, and what we found in Australia and New Zealand and the UK, is that it's encouraged the food companies to make their foods a little bit better so that they can make make it to a better traffic light colour. So, for example, they can go from a red to an amber or from an amber to a green. And so that's where we really think the power is, that if manufacturers make those small changes, they will affect many people rather than one change for one individual. Hmm. Sounds very interesting. Uh, I hear you say 2015 and China and all those places. When do we expect it in South Africa? Well, that that is one of the uh, additional reasons I'm here. I'm, I'm here talking to Vitality in the hopes that we can come to an agreement and really start to move forward the plans for South Africa. So I would hazard a guess and say we want South Africa food switch up and running by the end of next year, if not um, earlier. Now, talk to me about, have you heard about our banting diet? Absolutely. <laughs> Your comments? Well, it's interesting to me. I actually visited South Africa two months ago, and I had never heard of the Jim Noakes diet. And without fail, every young male between the ages of 25 and 40 that I met asked me about this diet. And so, of course, I had to go and see what all this hype was about, mm-hmm. because this hype, you must understand, is not outside South Africa at the moment. It is definitely within country. And in other countries, such as mine, we have other diets that are, that are very popular and in the media. So, mm-hmm. um, of course, I've looked into this. And it's not a, it's not a new concept, mm-hmm. but it certainly is a, a new... Um, figurehead and it's really being pushed by Tim Noakes and his team. My personal beliefs about the diet are that if it works for an individual, then I would absolutely support it. But at a population level, which is really where my research is coming into the picture, at a population level, this type of diet is just not sustainable. One, the country, well, the average uh, country member cannot afford 
to live on this diet mm -hmm. and B, we don't know the effects on a large scale for, for the general population. And so, again, and, I, and Tim Noakes himself does say this, that this diet is designed to help people who are trying to lose weight and to try and improve their metabolic position. So, in that sense, if the individual person wants to work with their practitioner and go on this diet and be closely monitored, then I think it is absolutely wonderful if it works for them. But at a population level, we must try to change the broader food environment. But now, that, 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 that the reason I asked you that question was uh, about the, the, the processed foods in that diet. Uh, have you been able to look at them and, and, and what, what they contain if they're healthy enough to consume? Uh, well, I think the Tim Noakes diet is really trying to promote a whole foods diet, so really mm -hmm. steering away from processed foods, which I absolutely agree with, of, mm -hmm. of course. Um, although I do say that there are some processed foods that at a population level we're just not going to be able to remove from the diet, and, and bread is a really good example of that, particularly for the low, low and middle income um, individuals. But again, from a health perspective, the more whole foods you consume as opposed to processed foods, the better. And I would just say, though, that I, I don't really like that I see the biltong can be included in that diet, and biltong is, is a <laughs> extremely high salt food and I think when it comes to sodium that this is something that really needs to be addressed and biltong is a processed food so again the more whole foods you eat the less um, saturated fats and cholesterol and sodium you're going to be consuming by default and so in that sense it is obviously much healthier than a diet based solely based on processed foods. I wish. How long are you staying in the country? Uh, I fly back home tomorrow. <laughs> oh no! Because we really would like to continue conversations with you around around food. Well, South Africa is my favorite country, so I do come back as often as I can. Oh, but we'll find we'll find you in Australia as well. <laughs> that's you know. right. That's right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time and your knowledge. Pleasure. And uh, where do we find more information on 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 the app, uh, or t where do we keep track of of some of the work you do? Is there a website? Absolutely. So you can, I think Google is the best way to get this across. You can go to Google and type in Food Switch and you'll be directed to any of our country uh, websites which you can find more information about. Our company is the George Institute. We are a not-for-profit health and medical research company and really try to improve population health at all levels. And you can Google us as well or it's georgeinstitute.org.au. Um, and, and equally, um, I encourage uh, listeners out there to, to, if they are Vitality members, push Vitality more and um, get them to actually move this along a bit faster. If they know their members want it, I think that will really, really push this along further. Uh, lastly, I, I know I said lastly, but how, again, uh, how can, is it possible that this app can be manipulated by uh, companies? Because we see, I'm not trusting anymore. Absolutely. You know. So no. What, so what that you, so you endorse the George, the George Institute is a very um, reputable research organisation, and mm -hmm. so we do all the algorithms behind the app ourselves. So in order to, to determine whether a product is healthier or not, it has to have passed through our, our team, and um, and we have a, a an algorithm that is used in a number of countries around the world to look at nutrient profiling, so looking at the overall healthiness of a product, and we absolutely make sure that each product gets looked at individually, and no company, no food company is a sponsor within the app or has any power over what we display in the app. So in terms of distrust, you can, you can definitely <laughs> trust us a lot more than, than perhaps a company saying that their product is better than another. And it would be a free app. Absolutely. Yep. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Dunford, for talking to us, and have a great trip tomorrow. Pleasure. We'll Thank talk you. to you again. Thanks. Bye-bye. There you have it. It's George University, uh, George Institute, rather, which you can, .org.au.
and you can get more information on this food switch app um, and find out more about it until we we or then vitality which is uh, the company that invited dr dunford to come and talk to us and um, push them or talk to them they, they should have more information about that food switch app sounds very very interesting now Oh, we're talking ethics now. There's an ethical dilemma. Healthy profits versus healthy people. We almost the same subject. Mabatu so joins us now. She has an extensive and diverse work experience in sales and marketing, strategy, asset management, uh, management consulting, and change management. Mabatu, hello. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Shadow. Thank you for having me. Now, tell me a bit about Ethics Exchange. Well, Ethics Exchange is a platform that's been created by Future Growth Asset Management. And the idea of that platform is that it brings together uh, leaders from different aspects of life in South Africa to share ideas on co-creating an ethically conscious society. Mm. And... Um did you listen to my conversation with Dr. Zanford? Unfortunately, I didn't. I just caught the tail end of it. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, you've told us a bit about ethics exchange, and you've got an event that's happening on, on the 4th of November, right? Y- yes, from 8.30 to 12.30 at the Theatre on the Square in Nelson Mandela Square. Okay. And the topic being discussed is the healthy profits versus healthy people and ethical dilemmas. Is that what it is? Yeah, uh, maybe I should just say there are many different speakers who will be different. So there will be a speaker who will be talking from a, method, uh, 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 a medical point of view, there will be a speaker talking from a media point of view, there will be a speaker speaking from a, from a masculinity point of view. Oh. Uh, so, so there are many different speakers. I'm just one of the many who are going to be there. But you're talking about the this dilemma that we talk. Yes, about. absolutely. Okay. Now, is it a very? In, it's, it, it is a very interesting topic. But what are your views? What are you hoping to present? You know, I'm, I'm hoping to probe ideas. I'm hoping to probe rethink. And the reason that I've done that and I've chosen this topic is simply because when you speak to leaders, when you speak to people, and you talk about healthy process and healthy people. Um, the, the, the standard um, answer is that absolutely, you know, you need to have healthy profits and healthy people. But the practice and, and what we are seeing is that actually there, there is a disconnect between the concept of healthy profits and healthy, and healthy people. And I say this because data and statistics tell us when we're not getting something right. right. Uh, if you look at, for example, the, the cost of uh, stress, to the economy on a yearly basis. I, mm-hmm. I mean, there was research done in 2012 that says the cost of stress alone on um, on, on 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 the on the economy is three billion. Wow. Three billion every single year. Um, I also presented this topic because for the past four years, I've been having deliberate conversations with highly effective professional women. And it, it really arose out of a conversation I had with, with one person who was telling me she is. Uh, using antidepressants to cope with the challenges of her job. Mm. That prompted me to then have conversations with other people. Uh, and, and I realized that actually a lot of people are under a lot of stress. So uh, potentially we are over, over sweating, um, abusing, for lack of a better word, the very, um, the very people that we're depending on to give us profits in the long term. 
to give the country profits. Absolutely. And, but it starts in the in, in a smaller context of, of the people employed by a business as well. A- absolutely. So, you know, what I'm trying to get people to do is, is really to challenge the, the, the normal way of doing things. So the normal way of doing things is we believe um, that uh, productivity just uh, comes from hard work. Mm-hmm. I- I'm not saying that's completely wrong. But there is a time when uh, you can over be overworking people and eventually the end result is that the very people that you are looking at to give you profits in the long term are breaking down so so in the long term and part of the problem is there is there tends to be a focus on immediate profits as as opposed to sustainability and long term Mm -hmm. so how do companies take what you're saying and apply it uh, effectively on a larger scale again how does government apply it because I I believe that government is the largest employer Uh, absolutely Uh, you know shadow I think for me the, the big issue that I'm trying to create in terms of shift within organizations is that um, there tends to be a real focus on the numbers, on the left brain side of things. So, so um, profits, bottom line, strategy. Mm. And I'm simply saying organizations now need to really think about the other side of things, humanize organization, feminize organization. You know, think about how do, I, how do we create conditions under which people can be productive over the long term. So we need to relook at, the, at, at how we work. We need to create flexibility for people. Um, we need to look at how we measure uh, what the focus is. And I'm also saying we need to look at whether we are really holding everyone who is responsible for, product, product, for productivity accountable as to how they create that product, productivity. Do we, know, say, do we know people, I beg your pardon, do we know those that are accountable? We do. Shareholders are accountable. Okay. Boards are accountable. Leaders are accountable. And individuals are accountable. And I'm saying, you know, I often hear, have conversations with people who are saying, well, we have, we have targets to fill. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these targets, you know, I don't know how we're going to uh, fulfill these targets under these market conditions, etc. And so sometimes you find that people are under incredible amounts of stress. Uh, to attain targets that sometimes um, are not attainable under the, the, those market conditions and it creates all sorts of behavior, including unethical behavior. And I'm saying it's about time we started having conversations and started uh, holding people accountable, including shareholders, to say, you know, uh, how are you attaining the profits that you obtained? How have you left the productive resources um, that you're using? in your attainment of, of these. So, so we've got to have measures that talk about the impact that we are having on just people within organization. And therefore, and you, you would agree with me, it's not just about people within organization. These are mothers and fathers. So the impact we have on them and their health, for example, have an impact on society. We'll come and talk back. point of view, but from family dynamics. Please stay on the line for me. We're going to take news headlines and come back to that idea. Hold that thought, please. Mabat is sharing ideas with us and hopefully making us ethically conscious. Um, um, and there's an event that's happening uh, in, in a few days on November 4th. And she is presenting a, a, a talk on healthy profits versus healthy people. And there's an ethical dilemma there. Mabatu, you started mentioning women and mothers, how important it was. Talk to me about that again, because we almost missed that. Yeah. 
So um, what we're saying from, I was saying very often the impact that we have on people at work also has an impact on, on the society. So we need to understand that as, as organization, we're also part of society. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be held accountable for our behavior and how not only does it impact the, the organization, but it impacts society. Mm. So when we create a, a situation, and, and very often, the reason, the reason I'm saying we're not held accountable and we're not, as a result, we're not really looking at the impact. What happens is if we, if we um, create a lot of strain in the organization and sometimes we lose people, nobody says to us, well, you know, you've done something that has a ne- had a ne- negative impact in society or family. We simply churn and bring in new people, mm. and we're creating problems elsewhere. Whether it's within families, whether it's within society, we're creating problems elsewhere. This is so very important, and you 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 mentioning such amazing concepts, and I I wonder how then one. Um, how does one measure the, 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 the balance between the two? How does one go back to their company and say, okay, I heard Mabatu and I really want to make sure that all of this is sustainable, that we do. I want to be accountable. What do they do? What the, thing, the things that I think that is missing in, in organization is really having honest conversation about these things. Mm. You know, um, we have conversations around all, all of the things around productivity, but when it comes to the issues that impact people and how they feel and health, it's almost considered a, a weakness. And so we've created environments where people can have honest discussion and trust that it's okay to have those discussions. Because part of the solution is being able to harness the collective wisdom within organizations to come up with, with, with solutions. I also think in the way we, we measure performance, very often, as, I mean, and, and very often people focus on what's measured. And a lot of the time, it's, it's really the left brain things, how much profits have you made, etc. Have you achieved the strategic imperative that we wanted you to achieve? Mm-hmm. But there's got to be a balance. So for me, I would want to see interesting measures like, well, at the end of the year, how have you left the productive resources of this organization? How many, what was the absenteeism rate? within the organization, how mm-hmm. many people have stress leisure. You know, things that begin to talk around how we treat our most important resources within organizations. Mm-hmm. And as opposed to wanting to replace them with equipment and uh, te- technology. And I don't think we have that option anymore. The world going forward is, is an, an, an organization that are going to do well, an organization that are going to harness innovation and creativity. And that resides within people. Smart organization, and very often you'll hear people talking about Google. Mm. The reason organization, and I'm, I'm not saying that uh, Google is 100% uh, correct in everything that they do, but the reason they've been able to strike some sort of balance is because they understood. They, they, they understood, they, they were very deliberate in understanding the importance and the, the, the value of human beings in, in where they need to go. So they've created an organization that, that um, looks at harnessing or creating positive energy, a great environment for people to be. And so you cannot, you just bring yourself, but it's fun, and, and they've created all sorts of things. So that is what I'm looking at. I'm saying organizations that are going to do well, and I'm not talking just the short term, because I think that's where we get it wrong. Is very often we're focused on short-term performance. But really, if you're talking about performance you need to look long term as well there's got to be a balance between those two and so your resources should not just be okay for giving you short term performance they should be okay 
to be there to give a resilient, healthy, long-term performance. And so there are many different ideas. Um, I think recently you may have seen Richard Branson. Mm-hmm. He said recently that he, he, he was experimenting. He wanted to give his, his, his staff unlimited uh, leave. Wow. And so something, there are so many ideas that can be implemented. And it, he's not the first person who would have done it. It has not been proved up to this point to those organizations who've implemented such measures that it takes away from performance. But I, I think it's, it's, it's really is how do we create an organization where people are able to bring their energy to work and tired minds are not it. Mabatu, you said uh, people don't want to have conversations. Where should, who's having the conversation? Who should have the conversation? In what environment do you have the conversation? And who are you having a conversation with? Are you talking to your team? Are you talking to your, your, um, to your peers? Who's having this conversation? Um, 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 well, this is one of my advocacy, is that it, within organizations, these conversations should be had. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Platforms should be created where authentic conversation and honest conversations can be had about these things. Part of the reason that they're not being had is if anyone says, um, well, you know, I'm not well, um, I have issues, those sort of emotions, those are considered negative, right? So we're not having the conversation. We're having conversation about the things that put us only in a good light. But those very conversations may lead us to understand what are the challenges within organizations that we need to focus and address in order to get to where we need to go from a performance point of view. You know, all well and good. What about the psychological barriers that exist within companies that may pose a challenge because of this pecking order of the senior management and, 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 and those kinds of of, 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 of positions how yeah. how does one break through the psychological barrier to have these honest uh, uh, conversations yeah you, you know shadow i think part of the issue is 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 leaders understanding what part of their response actually one of their primary responsibility is one of their primary responsibilities of leaders is to look after the well-being of their organization to create a context where people can thrive to empower people and part of that is being a psychologist but I, I do find that very often uh, leaders are not necessarily empowered in that way to be, um, to be that way focused, as I say. But they need to begin to understand that if they're really wanting to get the best out of people, it's high time that they started addressing those sort of things. And if, if, it's, if they're not capable of it, they can bring facilitators in, but those conversations need to be heard within, mm. within organizations. And what I'm saying is all... What that does, it, it, it leads the conversation that leads to solutions on how to create high energy, positive um, institutions that have happy people. We know that happiness has a positive impact on the bottom line. Oh, I'm so happy that I'm talking to you. to please stay on the line. We take a little break and we'll come back and find out who needs to be there. Who's okay. going, who, who are you expecting to attend and have the conversation with you? At, uh, at, the, uh, at the conference, but after this. Otherwise, on SAFM. My guest is Mabatu Seiso of Ethics Exchange. Mabatu, what do you think this kind of conversation that you, you're going to have on the 4th, how, how do you think it's going to assist South Africa? 
You know, Shadow, um, for me, really, and I think it's at the heart of the intention of the platform, which is creating an ethically conscious society, Mm. right? In different aspects, in in everything we do, you know, how how am I being a mother or a a citizen of this this country Mm. and behave ethically? How can I be a business leader and behave ethically? The sort of questions that we are not necessarily asking ourselves on a day-to-day basis, but for me, it's about creating a deliberateness in the way we do things, mm. so that we not we are not just doing things; we are doing things with an intention on how, with the intention of, of on the impact that we're going to have on how we do things. Okay, I don't think it's good enough to have profits. I think it is good enough to have profits, but be mindful on how you create those profits. In other words, the concept of responsible profits, not in the, in, in the way of socially responsible investments or, or, or corporate social investment, but really creating things in the way that doesn't take away from other aspects of life or from, 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 from the earth, uh, from, uh, from human beings. Mm. Because I can imagine if if a worker is is unhappy at work, it it, mm. it translates to the home and the community and to all the friends and, and and those kinds of things. And I think South Africa needs these kinds of conversations because it goes beyond the the the, the profits, as you say. Um, absolutely, absolutely. And for me, and absent, by the way, absenteeism costs South Africa twelve billion every year. It becomes even higher if you're talking, if you include presenteeism, which is people bringing their body to work but not, but not really being there. Mm. But, but imagine if, if, if um, you have a mother who has a mental breakdown because of the challenges that they're having at work. It, you see what I mean? It, the impact is not just on, on the fact that the, 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 the organization is losing an employee. The impact is, is on the ability to raise a family and play a role in the family and in society. So, so I'm, I'm simply saying there's got to be a mindfulness in the way we do things. I, 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 I really believe, you know, there's got to be almost like a review on, on how we think about work, mm. how we think about productivity and what we need to do. I think for the longest time we bought into a belief system that productivity just simply comes from hard working, so send those emails at 3 a.m., etc., etc., etc. But, you know, new evidence suggests that productivity actually comes from, from, from uh, being able to uh, give the people a sense of purpose, being able to energize people, you know, uh, being able to harness that passion and, pro- uh, and, and uh, that passion and, and, and purpose. So, so, you know, we need, and, and therefore, how do you create an environment where you can create those sort of things? Uh, and so you need to look at the content of work and the context. Sometimes mm-hmm. we bring people into organization with the intention of all working together towards a purpose. But, it, it, you know, we have so many negative things. We have politics within the organization. It creates all sorts of things. So yeah. I'm just simply saying, I think it is time we had a relook at our beliefs around work we had a relook at how we get productivity. And by the way, work is not the only place where you can get productivity. Therefore, how can you harness other spaces where people get productivity, uh, you know? And that speaks to things like creative flexibility for people to work from home. Hmm. 
Yeah. I'm hoping you you come back and talk to us about your findings after November 4th because this is a very important conversation that needs to be held even beyond this radio station. So um, we're happy that you brought it to the table. And I hope that after the 4th you'll be able to talk to us again and, and hear what other people have to say. Thank you so much. And it is the information is available um, where, Mabato? Um, we have a Facebook page. It's www.facebook.com slash ethics exchange. Um, you can buy tickets. It's 200 to 350 via Strictly Tickets, which is uh, at, on the cell phone 082-553-5909. Or you can go to the theater box office and, and purchase tickets. Fantastic. But it's the theatre on the square, Nelson Mandela Square, Santin Johannesburg, November 4th, 8.30 to 12.30. Thank you so much for your insight, my Thank you, Shadow. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. There you have it. And the telephone number for Strictly Tickets, if you want to to purchase, 082-553-5901.